I'm gonna try to see if people are gonna jump in this stream here, uh, Jason. Because we had, about, we had we had about a hundred we had about about hundred fifty people in that stream and it just it started not working. Okay. Girl, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I I can hear you well. Uh, we're waiting for people to come back in, um, and then we'll get going. Ha! Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Google is trying to undermine the stream. Ha! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, it, it has a certain title to it that's, that's going to get attention, right? So I titled this uh, stream, Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court, and the Future of America. No pressure there, guys. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I'm sure the algorithm's probably going nuts. Um, I think everything should be fine. Just, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I got three monitors in front of me. Two of them started going haywire. Um, this just doesn't happen. My camera started freezing. It's nuts. Okay, so, well, look, I want to thank all you guys that are here from Ruslan's stream. If you guys can share it out and go back and leave the comments and let other people know that there's a new stream up and running and, and here we are. Uh, as people are jumping in here, I want to read a little bio about Jason. Um, and let's see, let me pull that up. Uh, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. So Jason has been active. He's been in the active fight against abortion for over 20 years. He formerly served at, as OSA's campus leader. OSA stands for Operation Save America and then became assistant director to Rusty Thomas. He's been, uh, he has been uh, discipled by men who were active in the rescue movement of the 1980s. As a result, Jason brings both passion and strength and innovation to Operation Save America. You're leading that right now, right, Jason? Yes, sir. Okay, so Jason is in his car right now because he is on his way to a pro-life uh, event that his um his daughters organized and jason has 10 kids uh the last of which was born when jason uh just just after christmas just before the new year so she's uh almost six months there we go um and the oldest is how old she's 18 almost 19 be 19 just a couple of days here man 19 years old, all the way baby. down. What was that? You knew her when she was a tiny little baby, huh? Correct, correct. And I've, I've seen her grow up into a amazing young lady. Uh, so, Jason, you were interviewed recently by uh, Sky News. And that's, you know, you sent that to me and I made a video uh, response to it. I think they were pretty fair to you guys uh, in, in the interview generally, which was, which was surprising. They came. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So, Sky England essentially came out and stayed with with your family. What did they do? What did they look like? They wanted to spend a couple of days. They wanted to be around our family, just get a little little glimpse of our personal lives, uh, to kind of put a, a face on, you know, the quote unquote radical, right wing, uh, pro life people. Hmm. And so, you know, they wanted to represent our side, and I think they did that very well. They definitely were not uh, like minded. 
they were, you know, my interview was a, a fairly lengthy debate with the journalist. So, um, she, she, uh, in her bio for Sky News, it says that she uh, works on uh, stories that are re relating to uh, protecting and defending abortion rights, essentially. So, yeah, they, she was definitely not in agreement, but they gave us very good coverage. I certainly couldn't argue or disagree or be upset about the coverage they gave us, although they represented us very well. So it was their D.C. affiliate. Uh, we have a large following in the States online and so yeah we got a lot of good feedback from that okay um why don't you tell us about operation save america what what kind of a ministry is it what does it do by the way the the website uh link is in the description box below uh you guys can go uh check that out and learn some more but tell tell us about operation save america yeah so operation save america began in the third year known as operation rescue started by a man named Randall Terry, young, zealous preacher, and they started what was known as the Rescue Movement, or, or were, were a big part of uh, what, what became the Rescue Movement, which was uh, Christians engaged in peaceful civil disobedience at abortion clinics around the country. Uh, due to the influence of a lot of men like Francis Schaeffer and others, uh, evangelical Christians in the, in the uh, late 70s began to wake up to the, the horror of abortion and just to what was happening to our country. And so you had the rise of the moral majority and the so-called religious right. And they swept Ronald Reagan into power in, the in 1980, uh, unified uh, kind of all sort of coalesced into the Republican Party and put Ronald Reagan in power. And uh, so we had we had 12 years of uh, Republican sort of so-called conservative Christian presidents and uh, evangelical Christians were given a, a place at the table, a voice that they had not previously had for quite a while, have been largely absent from the cultural battles, allowing our country to basically be hijacked by, by radical leftists, by Marxists, by secularists. And, you know, the, the result of that was, of course, the sexual revolution hmm. of the 60s, legalized abortion, legalized pornography, and sort of the secularization of our, our mass institutions. So our education system, of course, uh, being stripped of its uh, Christian uh, heritage and its Christian uh, influences in 1960, 1962, uh, Supreme Court decisions took prayer and Bible reading out of the public school system, which were a staple. You know, kids would open their school day with prayer and reading of the scripture in almost every public school in this country. So uh, radical transformation of our country that took place through the through the 1900s and Christians were largely asleep at the wheel. And so that that started to change in the late 70s the rise of the moral majority and Christians took action. So there was this there was this realization that abortion is this 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 really horrific evil that we've been apathetic and indifferent to. That you know, when people began to see video footage and pictures and images of what is taking place behind the closed doors of abortion clinics, people began to realize mm -hmm. the hideous nature of abortion, that they are tearing little human beings apart in these clinics for, for profit. And uh you know, so Christians made that, of course, a huge issue. Roe versus Wade was already settled in 1973. Uh, so, so there was this re this expectation that abortion was going to end, and uh, with Ronald Reagan, and uh, Reagan was able to appoint two Supreme Court justices. George Bush Sr. after him appointed an additional two. So, uh, all that built up to uh, this growing social tension and expectation that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned. 
And in that time, Christians began to go out into the streets and peacefully protest in front of abortion clinics and engage in civil disobedience, what's called rescue. They would blockade the doors of the abortion clinics to prevent people from being able to go into the clinic. And hundreds of thousands of people were arrested in this country. It was the largest. So when when uh, when are we talking about uh, time period? Because I know that happened in the 90s. This this began in the 80s, and uh, it reached its high point in the early 90s, and it all climaxed in 1992. So what happened yeah. that it climaxed and then it just dies down? So so as uh, I've heard stories about this, where Christians are barricading themselves, they're uh, you know uh, handcuffing themselves yeah, the, to abortion lar clinics. Largest, the, the largest movement in this country of civil disobedience our nation's ever seen the amount of arrests and this was front page news story for uh, several years it was uh you know forcing this social tension that we're not going to ignore the, the murder of little babies in the womb and if we believe these are human beings that are being killed then we as christians must act like that and so that was the rallying cry and so you know hundreds of thousands of arrests abortion clinics were being shut down all over the country here in milwaukee the city that i'm at where i serve on staff at our church our my senior pastor of our church, who's also my father-in-law, Matt Chirella, he was a leader of Operation Rescue Milwaukee in the late 80s, early 90s. They shut down six of the eight abortion clinics that were in operation in the city of Milwaukee at the time in just a two-year period of time, just engaged in, in, in rescuing and putting pressure on these clinics and exposing what they were doing. And uh, all this was 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 leading towards what we thought was going to be the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the end of abortion in America. Uh, what ended up happening was in 1992, Bill Clinton upset George Bush and got into office. And he passed what's called the FACE Act, Freedom of Access to Clinics and Church Entrances. And so basically made it a federal felony to, to, to blockade the door of a church or an abortion clinic. And so that pretty much put an end to, to the rescue. What previously had been you know a misdemeanor uh, fine was now... A federal felony, six months prison sentence. So uh, that put a put a major style to it. There was also, of course, there was a lot of pride and ego amongst leaders that were, were fighting a lot of division, a lot of strife, as uh, a lot of guys rose to prominence and and gained a large platform through what they were doing. The eyes of the world were on them. So uh, a lot of young men who were leading that didn't handle that that type of pressure and that type of uh, that type of spotlight very well. Mm -hmm. So lessons to be learned there. But in 92, we had uh, the, the Casey decision, which was a, a, a case that was challenging Roe, worked its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. And everybody thought that 1992 was going to be the year that Roe fell. And so there was 12 years of intense social pressure and tension leading up to that. And what ended up happening was two of uh, Reagan and Bush's appointments, Sandra Day O'Connor, and then we found out just four days before the vote, uh, Anthony Kennedy, just retired from the court, changed their votes and, and flopped. And instead of it being a 5-4 decision to overturn Roe, it ended up being a 5-4 decision that actually expanded mm -hmm. Roe. And so that was a brutal heartbreak and a setback to the, to the pro-life movement. And from that time, I would say the pro-life movement has sort of been wandering in the wilderness. Uh, there's there, there has been a large... Uh, Theological abdication, I would say, a lack of understanding of of our duties as we engage the political arena as Christians, and as a result, uh, the public movement has largely just become, in many ways, uh, 
a part of the Republican Party as political establishment. And so the Republican Party leadership in this country is very corrupt. Uh, our political institutions are largely have, uh, operate on a system of bribery. And so the pro-life vote was simply, uh, you know, they were just a voting block to be manipulated. And every year it was, you got to vote for a Republican. Otherwise, the bad Democrats are going to get in and they're going to continue to expand abortion. And if, meanwhile, Republicans and pro-lifers would win election after election after election. Nothing would be done about abortion. And so we've suffered under this weight for, for quite a long time. And it's one of the takeaways now as we see Roe finally, amazingly, has fallen. And I, I'm shocked in yeah. one sense that this has happened, but I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm thankful. I think uh, President uh, Trump deserves an awful lot of credit because uh, Republicans have had the majority on the Supreme Court for the duration of the Roe era. And too many Republican presidents have given us uh, bad justices. We weren't really concerned about overturning Roe versus Wade. And so props to Trump, all three of his uh, his appointments, which is incredible to be able to appoint three, yeah. three justices in a four-year period of time was incredible. And here they've taken a phenomenal stand that has, uh, has massive implications. So, you know, the, the, the tragedy in all of this is, you know, we can read Samuel Alito's opinion, the justice who wrote the opinion here, and it's just an evisceration of Roe. What a, what a horrific decision, what an abuse of judicial power. And so the sad thing is that, that this is what Republican pro-life governors all over the country have been bowing to. You know, we've been calling on states yes. for years now to defy Roe which is what the leftists are doing right now, defy the court decision, you know. Yeah. Um, but because the, 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 the Supreme Court is not God. The Supreme Court can be wrong, and they've often been wrong. And when they're wrong, the other branches of government have a duty to uphold the Constitution and to uphold justice, not to just roll over and accept anything the court says. Uh, that has never been the case legally. It's not how our system of federalism works. We have a system of checks and balances. And sadly, all the other branches of government, both at the federal level and at the state level, just completely abandoned their post and rolled over and have just made Roe the law of the land when it was patently absurd, overturned laws in almost every state that prohibited or highly restricted abortion. And so there's 30 states that had complete and total bans on abortion, and, and, and most of the others had severe restrictions on it. So uh, all those state laws were completely overridden by five by seven Supreme Court justices in Roe and five uh, Supreme Court justices. Basically. Okay. So, so Jason, Travis. So th that's the political aspect, right? Like, so you, um, I, I met you in California when you were living out, living out here and you were a part of a group called survivors. Um, yeah. and, um, and we did tons of street ministry together, campus ministry together, became friends and have, have done all sorts of stuff for those. Uh, again, uh, Jason's a good friend of mine. He's traveled. I think you've traveled through every single state, right? Yeah, with the exception of Alaska and Hawaii. Okay, that's, yeah. that's what I was going to say, Alaska and Hawaii, maybe, maybe. So, okay, you got two spots to hit up, okay, guys? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, so, you've traveled all throughout this country. You've made friends all across the country. You've done ministry in every single state, with, with those two exceptions. Um, and you've spoken on this subject almost everywhere you've gone. Would you say that the vast majority of Americans, because there's this thing we get in the news that, most Americans want abortion to be legal. In your travels, just, I mean, this is anecdotal, it's, it's on your personal experience, but would you say most Americans are actually pro-choice in that sense? 
um, or, or kind of uh, what, what their views yeah, are? I would say most, most Americans, I would say, are actually probably somewhat indifferent to the whole issue. I think that's why you're probably not going to see massive rioting in the streets because most Americans don't care that much, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. Most Americans mm-hmm. don't, you know, tend to be just sort of selfish and sort of living in the own world, so to speak, in some sense. But, I, you know, I think you have, a, you have a radical minority on one side that's radically pro-abortion, and then you've got a strong percentage of people on the other side that are very committed to, to pro-life position. And then I think you've got a large percentage in the middle that are largely indifferent to it. And uh, you know, I think that most Americans probably favor abortion in some limited context. Uh, but Like know, European nations? That, yeah, let's say, you know, like rape and incest and these types of things. Mm. Now, our position, of course, is that uh, from the moment of conception, it's a human being. And that human being has intrinsic value. That human being is made in the image of God, deserves to be loved and protected. And uh, we don't get to pick and choose which which human being is more or less valuable. And certainly your value is not predicated upon the circumstances in which you, you, you came into existence. Uh, a baby that was conceived in rape is not less valuable not less human than, than, than a baby that was not conceived in rape. Uh, it's a more horrific situation. It's a situation the mother didn't choose to be pregnant. So certainly there can be and needs to be a lot more sympathy in that situation. The rapists need to be severely punished, hmm. uh, but you don't punish an innocent child. You don't, uh, you know, two wrongs don't make a right in that situation. We don't solve the problem of rape by, by, by uh, killing the baby. So uh, the mom needs love and support and encouragement and justice. Uh, the baby needs needs love and 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 nurture. So we uh, do not support any exceptions because uh, we think we believe in uh, that our principles must be consistent. That these are human beings, and if they're human beings, every human life has intrinsic value and should be protected. So um, you know, I think when you're able to articulate that and explain that position to people, most people get that, and it begins to make sense to them. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of work that needs to be done in the culture in terms of public opinion. And the church, sadly, has done, a, uh, I'd say, a poor job of educating and speaking to this issue uh, from a biblical standpoint. Okay, okay. so uh, just for those who are watching, if you guys have questions uh, for Jason, uh, please go ahead. Comments and questions, drop them in there. We'll read them. We'll, we'll deal with them. Uh, even if they're arguments, even if you're like, hey, I'm confused about this, or here's an argument someone brought up uh, against a pro-life position, um, you know, whatever it may be, uh, we're, we're here to help you think through this and kind of develop uh your i would say proper thinking now i'm gonna go to the interview and something that you said and i know your wit and i know you're so quick and um uh in the interview again the that sky news interview is um the longer version and the shorter version are both in uh in the description box but the interviewer said you know a lot of women have thought very hard uh you know you would assume a lot of women have thought very hard about getting an abortion and your response on the spot was, and I have no idea whether you've heard that before and it was re- rehearsed or something, like you oh. just had that back, back then. Spontaneous. So what was your response? Can you can you tell us your response? Do you remember it? I just simply said thinking uh, very hard about something is not the same thing as thinking properly about something. So, Yeah. So that, that, that is a such a nuanced comment, right? And and it's, again, uh, your, your wit came through there. And... It's important because we think just because someone has thought hard or gone through the difficult process of making a certain kind of decision, that doesn't always mean that's the correct or proper way to think 
about a subject, Correct. right? Just going through the process of thinking as difficult as it is. But I want you to share some stories, the times you've been in, in front of abortion clinics like a million times more than I have. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, but we've, we've done some stuff together. Just, are we really seeing people going into abortion clinics, broken hearted, crying, right? Like, I really don't want to do this. I'm forced into the situation. Or are we seeing people go into abortion clinics with a completely different attitude? The thousands and thousands of times yeah. and the multiple places that you have been in front of abortion clinics, you've been in front of all across this country. What's your experience been? Yeah, I think that there's a hardness of heart that takes place in most women seeking an abortion. They have to sort of sear their conscience to a certain degree to go through with that. It's not an easy thing to do. And so I think uh, what you often find are people who mock, who uh, are just, yeah, oftentimes very hard, very calloused. We've had women tell us many, many times, scream at us, uh, you know, I can kill my effing baby if I want to. Uh, you know, mind your own effing business. You can't judge me. Um, you know, we just had some some young guys came out on the streets uh, to counter protest us recently. And one of them had a sign that said babies are delicious. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously he's trying to be funny. I just dressed him down, you know, made fun of him a little bit. And, he threw, you know, fight fire with fire a little bit. I just I said, well, your mom let you out of the basement today, huh? You were a good boy. Did, did uh, make your bed today? You know, your mom let you out of the basement, huh? And, uh, you know, we kind of went back and forth like that. But, you know, there, there, there's certainly, you, you just see it in the, the pro-abortion community, right? I mean, there's this just tremendous selfishness. I can do whatever I want. This is about me, myself, and I, and F you and F everybody else. And so, you know, any sense of duty, of honor, of sacrifice, of parental responsibility, you know, all sort of goes out the window in, in the modern narcissistic world. And that's, that's what we produce, the generation of young narcissists who think the world revolves around them. And uh, we are the most spoiled, you know, luxurious, comforted generation. And yet we think we have it absolutely harder than any, anybody. Mm. And yet we think we're smarter than everybody who's ever existed. Uh, you know, this is this is absurd. We're, we're, we're a dumbed down, ignorant, arrogant population. Uh, the amount of propaganda that's fed into young minds is, is astounding. And yet they think they, they, they've just formulated these views and come up with these these uh, profound truths all on their own, and they don't realize that their minds have been literally raped by propaganda from the time they were they were infants. And so, you know, I think that that makes our duty as Christians difficult. You know, there's this ethos in our society that you're not supposed to judge, you're not supposed to impose your morality, and yet, of course, what we're seeing right now is an awful lot of judgment from the left, right? Yeah. All the people who said you shouldn't judge people, you can't impose your morality on us. Uh, you're, you need to be tolerant. You know, they're all making threats and they're all being quite nasty. And so, you know, I think at the heart of abortion, really, you know, this is why this is a gospel issue, right? Because at the heart of abortion is the selfishness of mankind. It's the pride and arrogance of mankind. And what more, what could be a greater act of betrayal than a mother who, who destroys the life of her own child in her womb? Or a father who ab abandons or pressures his, his girlfriend, uh, you know, to, to kill their child, you know, what, what greater betrayal, what greater act of selfishness and godlessness could there be than to destroy a little precious, innocent human life so deserving of our love and protection. 
And so abortion is not just the killing of a human being. It, it taints the soul of this nation. It's defiled the conscience of this nation. And so there's much to celebrate today, even though many states are going to be relatively unchanged. Uh, this is a huge victory for life. It's a huge victory for our country. And uh, much cause to celebrate. And, of course, the leftists are exposing themselves. The pro-choice crowd with all of their nasty, filthy rhetoric are exposing their hearts. And people need to be paying attention to that. So, okay. So, Jason, um, there's a couple questions that have come in here. I want you to deal with them, okay? Um, so here's here's one uh, that says, I've heard people justify terminating a pregnancy because the child has a disability. We hear this quite often. Uh, when dealing with this uh, this subject, it's hey, would you want to bring a child? It's it's kind of an appeal to emotion, right? But I mean, there's logic there in the sense of like, would you want to bring a child into the world and then they're gonna live their lives just suffering, right? And right. look, I have family members. I know folks that have family members that have multiple mental disabilities and stuff like that, physical disabilities. And they're like in their 60s. So their parents have gone through that entire struggle. Uh, and so you'd get examples of like that and say, well, would you want someone just to continuously struggle in their existence? Is it not more humane? Is it not more friendly? Um, right. And understanding to um, it's essentially a mercy killing. Right. In, in that context, they're looking at it as a mercy yeah. killing. Uh, yeah. How, yeah, how, I mean, would, how do you respond to that? Yeah, you know, I think, I would, you know, we, I think we have to start with our principles. We have to go back to our foundation how do we determine what is right and wrong in the first place how do we where does human beings where do human beings get their value what what makes you a valuable person uh you know the mother who is saying that she wants to do this is in, in, in saying this is a right that she has where does she get rights where do her rights come from you know i think these are the fundamental questions that we have to begin with and, and ask ourselves what gives human life value is it the state is it your mom and dad uh, is it a vote of the majority in a democratic society? I would say none of those things. Uh, your value is based on the fact that you're made in the image of God. Every human life has value. You have you have tremendous value, even if your mother doesn't want you or has mistreated you or spoken ill of you. You have tremendous value, even if you're an oppressed minority in a society. Uh, you know, in this country, black people didn't lose value merely because their value was not recognized, sadly, in our Constitution and in our early laws. America was wrong. Our country was wrong. And black people still had value. And thank God there were Christians proclaiming that message and standing up and defending them. So our value is not predicated on any of those things. So I would say a child with disabilities, is, is, is a person with disabilities less valuable than a person who does not have a disability? Certainly not. So, so we have to consider the fundamental human worth and dignity of every, every child regardless of the circumstances in which they're in or the ailments that they may have had inflicted upon them, uh, they're still a valuable life. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be protected. They deserve to be valued. And so is it hard to bring a child into the world in that situation? Sure, it's hard. Life is hard. And I think that's what we've sort of lost sight of in, in modern America. We think we have a right to not have a difficult life. And that's just simply not true. Uh, life is difficult. Life is hard. And uh, the test of our maturity, the test of our character, is do we do the right thing even when it's hard? Yeah, and I suppose the logic there it kind of falls apart. So we can we can give a couple of counter examples. Uh, just I'm I'm sure many of uh, you guys watching this are going to get into these discussions uh, in the upcoming weeks and days. 
But uh, one of the counter examples would be just to come up with a scenario where the child is completely healthy, there's nothing wrong with the child, and the child is born, and uh, you know, five hours, two hours, three days, a week after the birth of the child, they develop some kind of a heinous disease um, and disability, right? Uh, you take the child home and the child, you accidentally drop the child and now they're disabled. What does that mean, right? Um, does that mean now you're in your right or that the whole mercy killing concept there? It's like, well, you know, they're not going to have a very good and productive life, according to you. And now you can kill that child. And if the answer to that question is a no, which it should be, then what's the difference between that child a week out of the womb and a week in the womb, right? Like, the, what is the difference? And the only real difference you're going to come to is location. That's it. And so these are the sorts of counterexamples you can give to really expose the faulty thinking uh, behind th this sort of stuff. Um, our value as human beings um, doesn't come about by our functionality, right? Like how can we can how much we can give to society, how much we can uh, you know be productive or or something like that. Uh, right. or how much the you, state you, might deem us to be, right, you know, productive you, citizens. You, you, level of development or yeah, your productive capabilities that can change throughout one's life. A fifth yeah, grader this, is not valuable than a 12th grader. Uh, you know, uh, your value is not predicated upon your level of development as a human being. We're all in a process of developing, and that process begins clearly in the womb. Correct. Yeah. Um, so a another difficult question that's come up here, and... Um, <clears throat> has to do with ectopic pregnancies, uh, Jason. So our treatment, our, the question is, are treatments for ectopic pregnancies considered abortions? How will states who ban abortions treat ectopic pregnancies? This is po post, obviously, today's decision. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, thankfully, those things, that's an extremely rare thing. But certainly it does happen. I know people who've had ectopic pregnancies. Many ectopic pregnancies will resolve themselves given time. Most, in fact, do given time. So I think what we have in the medical community is, and I think this is why we have so many complications in America related to, to maternity and birth, and birth and delivery of children because of uh, so much of the way that our medical community functions that's just wrong. But I think that what, what needs, to, under, be, what needs to, to undergird the way we treat ectopic pregnancy is by recognizing first that there is a valuable human life there. And so we're treating two patients. So whatever procedure we're going to use, we have to respect that life. And so that means we don't hastily just seek to just pull the, an, an embryo out of there uh, because a doctor maybe is concerned about liability or just, mm. you know, it's a convenient time for him to do the procedure. You know, I think that uh, pay, we dictate patience. Let's wait and see if this resolves itself. You wait to, to, as long as you can to see if it resolves itself. And uh, and then I think, you know, there are procedures that are being worked on to help uh, move that embryo down the fallopian tube and so that it can uh, implant in the uterine wall of the mother, right? So uh, it's incredible the technology that we have, right? So situations where uh, the life of a mother is threatened and she's going to die are extraordinarily rare. So I think, you know, it, I think we can simply say if you've exhausted all their options and you're trying to save that little embryo and in trying to save that little embryo, you can't. That doesn't happen. The embryo dies. Then that's mm -hmm. a tragedy. A life has been lost. But you did everything you could to save that, that embryo. You didn't just say, oh, well, we got that covered pregnancy. Just, just, uh, just, just kill the embryo, you know. Uh, 
simple simple solution right that uh that, that's not should, should not be the way we look at it right and so you know you have guys like c everett coop for example was an, a doctor OBGYN. he was a former surgeon surgeon general of the nation mm-hmm. uh, dr ron paul as well was a medical doctor delivered over forty thousand babies uh both those guys you know were were, were active are active in uh for uh i think Sierra coop has passed away but ron paul's still alive both of them active in the medical profession for almost 50 years each. They both said there's never been one case where they had to kill an unborn child to save the life of the mother. That's how rare that actually is, an extraordinarily rare thing. So, again, uh, but you know, in, in a situation where, let's say, hypothetically, that's happening, you do everything you can to treat and protect the, the, the little human life as well. Yeah, and, and um, uh, so for for those who are for those who are joining us here from uh, Ruslan's stream, uh, I mentioned something on there uh, that had to do with the doctrine of double effect, and this this is something that a lot of people aren't aware of, and and I'm aware of it just because of my philosophical training, and uh, it's it's not just like a heady thing; it's it's a legitimate ethical theory that people use in the medical field to make decisions all the time, right? And it's essentially what you just said, right? It's you are aiming at saving both lives. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with abortion. It could be the case where, say, a hospital is understaffed. They have one doctor um, and there's a car accident and they rush in three people. And the doctor has to make a decision of whose life he's, he's going to save, basically. Um, and just suppose the situation is in a way where he's going to make a decision. Who has the higher chance of survival here? And I'm going to work on that individual, right? Uh, not that he doesn't want to, not that he's intentionally going in there to kill one of these people. But if he's looking at a person, the person has a 5% chance of living. Um, and then he's looking at the p- person next to him who's got a 35% chance of living. He's going to make a decision like this, right? And and the doctrine of double effect is is aiming at helping you make decisions like this in which you're not intending harm but harm might be a consequence of the decision you're making, okay? And whether you have the justification for something like that. And in situations like that, that's essentially what Jason's going after. You wait, right? You, you don't make hasty decisions because this is literally a matter of life or uh, life and death. And so you want to make the wisest, best possible decision that you can possibly make. Uh, so again, you guys can look that up and then there's all sorts of explanations online. There's all sorts of examples people give in medical situations where that could be applied. And that's not something new, by the way, that's, that's a doctrine that Christian, uh, thinkers have been using for as far as I know, for at least about uh, like a, a thousand years in, in a very legitimate sense of, <laughs> of the word, yep. um, so we're not ignorant of these things, and ethicists aren't ignorant of these things. They, they know what's going on. I like this comment here. Kelly uh, posted, says, Jesus did not mercifully kill the lame. He gave us clear examples of his sovereignty over the situation and showed his power to heal. Amen to that. Thank you, Kelly. That's, so, okay, so we, we come at this as Christians, and a lot of people, Jason, say, well, keep your religion out of this, man. You're coming at this with your religious biases, you're bringing your religion into this. So keep it out of this. Deal with it, you know, with whatever the data is. What does the data say? Uh, well, the data certainly tells us from a, you know, an objective scientific standpoint that human life begins at conception. Every medical textbook on human, human embryology, unquestionable that human life begins at the moment of conception. 
uh, that's when that's when your life began, Arthur. Right, your life began when your mother's, you know, egg was was uh, you know joined to your father's sperm. That's when you began. At that moment, a unique individual human embryo comes into existence. Genetically, all that you are, your DNA, it's all there. You just from that point forward, it's time and nutrition, and a process of development and growth, and uh, that process carries with you through your life. So I think from a scientific standpoint, it's very clear this is a human being. It's not a dog. It's not a cat. You know, we can, we, we can send probes to Mars that are searching for life. We're able to distinguish and determine. We have scientific criteria to determine what is a living organism, what is not, what is non-living matter, and what is living. And so clearly an embryo is a living being, it's a mm-hmm. living organism. What kind of living being is it? Genetically, it's a human being. It's a human life. And that human life is growing and developing. And, uh, of course, we can, we can track that process of development through the early stages of, of the formation of the organs. And, you know, I think at 40 days, you're able to get early neurological activity, a heartbeat, you know, six weeks. And so hey, uh, I was able to hear I, uh, with, with our firstborn, we were able to hear his heartbeat at five weeks into the pregnancy. There you go. And so, so you, you know, you think if a mother wants the child. The whole of the medical profession recognizes if a mom wants a child, all of society recognizes that's a human being. You know, mm-hmm. imagine a mother at say six weeks or eight weeks. So you you said it with five weeks. Without, you know, walks in and says, you know, imagine the doctor says, let's look at the parasite, or let's look at this blob of cells. You know, that, that's not the rhetoric, right? I mean, you know, the, the doctor's gonna say, let's take a look at the baby. Let's pull the baby up on the ultrasound. Have you been taking your prenatal vitamins? You know, uh. You know, let's, let's see what, you know, how that little baby is developing in there. Uh, we all recognize it's a valuable little precious life if the mom wants it. Suddenly the mom doesn't want the child and now suddenly it ceases to be a human being. Yeah. Is this really how the game is played? Is this really how, how, how flippantly we're defining human existence, right? And so, um, you know, but, but that, that's all from a scientific standpoint. Clearly, undeniably, it's a living human being. It's a, and and the, only, the only question then is, is it a valuable one? And there, of course, we move out of objective, you know, science, right? We move out of, uh, you know, things that are empirically testable. Uh, ethical questions are value judgments. And how do you resolve those questions? How do you determine the value of human life? Uh, well, for us in America and in Western civilization, that has been grounded in the theological underpinnings of Christianity. Hmm. The reason why women have rights today. The reason why black people have rights today. The reason why all of us have rights universally, the poor, the downtrodden, minorities, is because we recognize from our Christian traditions that human life is made in the image of God and has intrinsic value. That's what America gave us. That's what uh, our Western traditions gave us, our European ancestors that, you know, that those that, that came here, uh, America's legal uh, and, and we could say cultural, uh, you know, uh, ancestry is through England and through Europe. And again, the influence of Christianity profound there in, in, in English jurisprudence. So uh, if you look at what Europe was like pre-Christianity, and look at the ancient Greco-Roman world, look at the Druids, look at the Germanic tribes and the Goths, look at the Vikings, look at all of those cultures pre-Christianity, they were, we, would, we would all consider them utterly, horrifically barbaric. Hmm. Mass murder, genocide, rape. Uh, human life had no value. Now people say, well, the church has done all that. But the thing is, when the church does that, the church is violating its principles. It's acting hypocritically. It's Correct. going against the teachings of Christ. Greedy men will rise to power and can rise to power in any institution. And sadly, the church 
uh, has been corrupted at times in various ways, and, and professing Christians have done evil things. But the thing is, that, that's going against the teachings of Christianity. The Greco-Roman world, that, that was not wrong. Nobody considered it wrong to go and slaughter a, a village. If you could do it, if you had the power, might made right. Uh, child sacrifice was normal. Uh, you know, sex with children and the sexual exploitation of children. Uh, you know, women had no rights. Uh, you know, so 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 many of the things that that even people who are on the left in this country who they take for granted and think that we all understand universal human rights, these things were birthed out of the cradle of Christianity. That's why we have them, and they didn't they didn't come out of a, a secular conception of the universe and of the world. If we were to accept pure evolutionary dogma, then we'd have to say that we are merely a cosmic accident. You simply are a random mutation. Where then do you derive value? You don't. Right. You're no more valuable than a bladed grass. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the science here. I, I want to go back to something because um, it, it seems to me that the definition of the word pregnant has changed and evolved, right? And so uh, so people well, men, will... Men get pregnant now, right? So What was that? <laughs> men can get pregnant now, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there, okay? Uh, if you guys are interested in uh, if you guys are interested in my reaction to the Matt Walsh, uh, what is a woman stuff, I, I've got like two or three videos on that. I've broken nice. down some philosophical points, so go, go check that out. But uh, I'm not going to get into that because, you know, are those men who are getting pregnant actually men, uh, right? Like, uh, and, and what is a man? If yeah, we can't tell what right. a woman is, how do we know what a, whatever? Uh, so I was watching a bunch of videos today and uh, predominantly, by the way, the, these videos that I watch are from uh, the pro-abortion side because I just I'm very confident. I know what the pro-life side says. I want to educate myself to the best of the arguments that the pro-abortion side has. Um, I want to learn. And if I'm wrong, I want to change my views. I think that's being intellectually honest. Um, and so mm. one of the things that uh, I was seeing, one of the videos I was watching, uh, people were mentioning about, well, you know, this, uh, they're talking about the morning after pill and all that stuff. Oh, it prevents me from getting pregnant is, is the language they kept using. It, the morning after pill prevents me from getting pregnant. Sure, um, what was that? Label, they label it as contraception. Correct. So break that down for us as to how that word has, has evolved and changed and why it is uh, abo uh, an abortifacient. Yeah, so, well, you know, the medical community worked hard to change the definition of conception, moved it away from what previously had been understood as fertilization, right, sperm and egg meat. The zygote is created a, a human embryo. So they changed the definition of conception to, when, to, to it, what we call implantation when the embryo travels down the fallopian tube and attaches to the wall of the uterus. So one of the ways that, that many over-the-counter birth control pills work and the morning after pill can in this way as well is, is they harden the lining of the uterine wall so that the, the implantation cannot happen and basically a miscarriage happens. Hmm. Or some forces a miscarriage, right? So, well, yeah. Uh, no, I, mean, I mean, I'm certainly, I'm not opposed to genuine and legitimate contraception. We are opposed to anything that is an abortifacient that destroys a human embryo. Yeah. Correct. And Correct. people need to be certainly under, you know, it's a shame that the church doesn't really teach more on, on those ethical, ethical issues and, and those scientific issues because they certainly are relevant. Amen to that. Uh, here's a question about the church. So why is the church so divided on this issue? I can, I can understand why the world is divided, but the church, God is a united God, not divided. What does the word of God say about this issue? 
Um, let's follow Great that. question. Yeah. yeah, John the Baptist, uh, you know, leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Uh, the Bible uses the term with child. Uh, Jeremiah, of course, he says that he knew you from your mother's womb. David says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in my inward, my the inward parts of my mother, my mother's womb. You formed me together, knitted me together. So the Bible, everywhere that it speaks about a preborn child, refers, you know, affirms the dignity, worth, humanity, and value of the preborn child. Everywhere the Bible speaks about it. Correct. Yeah. So the Bible has a very high view of children. This is yes. one of the things that I as uh, and. Uh, Again, I'm just relationship stuff. As uh, so, J Jason, you got married. How old were you when you got married? Uh, 24. Okay, your wife yeah, was how old? He was 20. Okay, so um, when I met you, you seemed like an old man to me, because <laughs> uh, I I was about 21 years old, and but you weren't that you were much younger. older than me. Yeah, I think you were younger than that. I think you were. No, like sorry, I was I was probably 19. Yeah, not 21. Yeah, I think I was 19. 2005. Yeah, I was 19. So I was 19 years old, and you were like 26, 27, something like that. 2004, I met I think. Yeah. 2005. And um, you had two we, kids. We, we, left, uh, we left California in 2004. Or, I'm sorry, 2005. Then, so we yeah, got, then I'm, we I'm got, getting my date, dates wrong. Yeah, we got to California in 2003. So I think I met you either 2003, 2004. Four. Yeah. So you had two kids, and it was just like... Uh, I was like, man, this guy's like really established in his life. He's like wise, sage, right? Um, but I, I got as a single man, as a as a young single man, I got to learn a great deal from you and your wife, the way you dealt with your kids, the way you structured your family, just just like paying attention to the details of that. And one of the things that pretty early on I think I got challenged with was the Bible's view of children, as opposed to our culture's view of our culture's view of children. The Bible generally views children in a very positive light. Uh, for example, yeah. their statements lots, like lots, lots, lots of lots of children. Yeah. So number thing. one, lots of children. Number two, uh, the, the the verse that comes to my mind is that uh, children are like arrows in a father's quiver. Like they're like yeah. offensive weapons, right? Like this is cool language, man. I mean, uh, well, yeah. a modern translation might be, you know the uh the bullets in the father's <laughs> uh magazine right uh that's yeah. essentially what the communication there is but then i realized in our culture children were seen as a burden so Absolutely. if you had children if you got married young and had children you you couldn't travel and enjoy yourself um if yep. you had children uh your life was kind of going to get stomped down and you're going to be all about them and you can't enjoy yourself you can't enjoy your spouse i had people i had christians tell me this oh don't yep. have children uh, don't have children very early on because you want to enjoy your spouse absolutely um, yeah that's and and that's, th that's worldly thinking in my mind it is absolutely and that that and that that mode of thinking actually became more prevalent prior to Roe. we would never would have had a legalized abortion had we first not had the whole scale embrace of the what I call the birth control mentality that hmm. children are a burden, they're not to be celebrated. It's like, oh my goodness, why would you want more than one or two children if you even want children at all? Yeah. And so our, you know, our ancestors all had 10, 15, you know, 20 children. This was not abnormal. And so there was a celebration of children. Yes, they bring hardship. Yes, they bring adversity, right? This is one of the crazy things about young people I talk to today who try to justify abortion, they say, I can't afford to take care of children. I have 25, 30-year-olds who routinely tell me, 
uh, I can't afford to take care of children. It's like, are you kidding me? We're the wealthiest society that's ever existed. <laughs> if you can't take care of children, then who in the world possibly could have? Yeah. There's never been a society that could have them. Nobody should be here. But right. in fact, people did actually raise healthy children for thousands of years on far less material things than what we have and enjoy today. So we, we've got we've got an extraordinarily messed up view hmm. of family and children today. And, uh, and the result is, of course, we have the highest rates of suicide amongst young people we've ever had. Of course, gender confusion, drug addiction, broken families, uh, you know, broken relationships. The average young person goes from one bad relationship to another bad relationship to another bad relationship. The music we listen to is contaminated with perversion and sexual confusion and and uh, and is filled with brokenness and discouragement and uh, and um, you know most of it is about you know failed relationships right so that's normative in our society because we've confused what love is right we've flipped it into lust and selfishness and it's about me and you satisfy my needs whereas true love is about selflessness and the giving of oneself and so that's what children bring to the table when you get married and you have children children force you to grow in your love for other human beings. They force you to learn how to sacrifice, to lay down your life. You have to get up in the middle Correct. of the night and change diapers. <laughs> you have to tend to find children. You have to, you have to invest in these kids. You can't just be, live a self-centered life. And that's a good thing. That's, a, that's, a, that's something that helps us grow and mature. And that has been a great vehicle for bringing men into maturity. And so we have this thing in our society today where, where men don't want to grow up. We've got the Peter Pan syndrome where men do not want to take on responsibility. I've talked to so many young Christian women who have a hard time finding responsible, godly, courageous, hardworking, strong Christian men. And it's like, where are the men? Well, they, they, they want to sit and play video games and take the, the, the path of least resistance and, and travel the road of comfort. And that's not manhood. Hmm. You know, manhood involves and entails hardship, embracing hardship, struggle, and sacrifice. You know, we look to, we look to superheroes as, you know, some of our icons. You know, that's the, 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 the heroism that we... We idolize there is is uh, is, is sacrifice. You look at the, the soldier, you know, and you think of the bravery of of, of our soldiers and the wars that have, have we look back on historically, and we, they stir our hearts. And uh, we celebrate Memorial Day where we honor these things. And you know, the Armenian traditions, of course, you have a, a, a tremendous heritage. Uh, Vartan Mamagonian and others, you know, the, the amazing heritage of just courage and bravery and self-sacrifice. That's manhood. And children are a part of that. And we have to re refocus our thinking around the value of children if we're ever going to really, truly create a pro-life society. Amen. Well, one of the things that I, I, I want to mention is you, you spoke, and we're both guys, so naturally we're going to gravitate towards talking about manhood and what a man looks like um, for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I know your wife, and uh, I know what a bold, courageous woman she is. Um partly because she wanted to have 10 kids um, and she, she's, and she loves them, cares for them. You guys homeschool all your kids. Um, they're very articulate, every single one of them gifted and encouraged in their giftings in various ways. I know my wife and I see the self-sacrifice and the effort she puts in there. And uh, because, you, you know, we get the arguments, right? Uh, generally, people say, oh, you guys are guys. You guys are telling women what to do and, you know, right, oppressive right, right. kind of uh, white males or something like that. I don't identify as a white male, by the way. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, and uh, let, let them try identifying me as one. But uh, right. you, you get thrown into that camp quite a bit, uh, most likely, you know. Um, oh, yeah. But, but our, our wives, man, they're, they're, they're champions. Like Without this stuff would be absolutely impossible. I don't mean that just in the biological sense. Obviously, they're having kids. But 
the way they set up the house, the way they educate our kids and the involvement. Like we honor and uplift our wives for the work that they do in, in, in our families, for how essential they are to our families. It's not just about being good fathers, present fathers, encouraging fathers, disciplinary fathers, whatever comes with being a good father. Um, it is the good mothers who are absolutely self-sacrificially caring for their kids. Uh, like, there's no stopping them. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah true femi femininity, motherhood is a, a beautiful. It's a lost thing as well. You know, you think of uh, you mm. know the idols that are held up for our young ladies. You know, the Katy Perry's, Cardi B's, Nicki Minaj. You know, gag me on this garbage. You know, this perversion, right? Uh, these, 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 these are self-centered, uh, arrogant. You know, I mean, just pompous. You know, this, this is not, this is not something to be celebrated. Yeah. So, the the wonderful beauty that you know our grandmothers brought. You know, the wonderful beauty of 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 motherhood and and womanhood absolutely should be cherished and honored. And men should respect that, uplift that, desire that, and uh, that's a part of uh, of our classical chivalry, right? That men, you know, my grandfather told me that you know when a woman used to would, would walk into the room when he was a young boy, all the men would stop talking and would stand up and acknowledge the presence of women. Men would take their hat off when a woman approached them. Men would never cuss or use crude language in the presence of women. But there was this sense of respect and honor, and, and as you said, uplifting uh, women. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and, and it's bizarre that that is being trampled upon in the name of feminism. And, uh, and that motherhood is being trampled under the name of feminism. I mean, what, what, what is more basic to a woman's biological design and, and instincts than to be the nurturer God made them to be, to bear children, to nurture those children? And uh, it's such a huge, important part of what it means to be a woman. Correct. Um, so today's a day to celebrate motherhood. It is. It, so here's here's kind of um, uh, we're coming towards the end of this uh, this conversation, but you run and work with cross state lines, uh, Operation Save America, um, and I mean we're celebrating. This is great. What does the future of America look like? Because a lot of people, I suspect. A lot of people, I suspect, are going to say, yes, we won, finally, right? We've been fighting this fight for 40 years, and there's victory. And then maybe not even realizing what the what this decision has done, right? Yeah, well, this many, decision many, has many, not many, made abortion illegal no, uh, all, all across many, the United States. states uh, yeah, many states, abortion is going to continue. Obviously, California is going to be unchanged. New York, uh, Illinois, uh, many states. So the hope here is that we will see 10 to maybe 15 of the most conservative pro-life states in the country actually fully criminalize abortion now. Uh, pressure will be applied and that, that abortion will be ended and that they will, they will either pass or have passed. You know, there's 13 states that have trigger bills. Some of those, most of those trigger bills have some problems with them. They're not what I would call bills of full equal justice and full equal protection that I think needs to happen. Um, but uh, you know, here in Wisconsin where I live, Milwaukee, we have uh, uh, abortion homicide statute still on the books since that is coming into effect. Hopefully Planned Parenthood just made uh, made a press release today here that Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin that they are suspending operations mm -hmm. uh, indefinitely here until this gets figured out. And so the abortion clinics here in our state, it seems are going to be shut down for the, at least the near future. 
Uh, you know, people are going to be going across the border into Illinois, about an hour drive across the border, and there's abortion clinics there. But so this is going to put it back into the hands of the states, and states will will be able to to choose how they want to deal with this. And so conservative pro-life states can no longer hide behind yes. the Supreme Court ruling, use that as an excuse of why they take inaction, which is what a lot of Republicans have been doing for a long time. But it'll give genuine pro-life people the opportunity now to really drive home substantive legislation that provides full equal protection for preborn children. And so I hope we could see 10 to maybe 15 states that will do that and that will do that quickly. I think Oklahoma's one. I know Missouri's calling a special session. The Attorney General in Indiana made some strong statements today. I think there's quite a few other states where we can see some good things happen. We have a conference at the end of July in Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee has a trigger bill. So we've been in communication with a lot of the brothers down in Tennessee to see what is happening down there, what's, what are we expecting to see. And uh, it's possible that by the time we get to Nashville, the abortion clinics will be shut there. Though they may not, the attorney general in Tennessee made some interesting statements that basically sound like they're going to drag their feet. Hmm. And it's going to take some time and there's not going to be any immediate enforcement of anything. So uh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. This is not a time to sit back and just celebrate. This is a time certainly to celebrate, but it's a time to get busy and to work harder than we've ever worked because we have this door that's been opened for us to really push home some serious legislative victories to establish equal protection for preborn children. And so you'll, you'll have then probably another 20 states that maybe are lean conservative or are, are purple, where, where there will probably be some restrictions. Some of them may be significant restrictions on abortion, things that may be heartbeat bills, uh, where, where you know, it'd be illegal after a detectable heartbeat or something like this. And so it might drive out the surgical abortion industry, but leave the door open for early chemical abortion and take home do-it-yourself abortion pills and that sort of thing in the early stages of the pregnancy. So I think we'll see, you know, probably 30 states that will that, that will be, you know, 30, 35 states will be covered in that. We'll have, you know, 15 to 20 states, but there's going to be full-blown federal government wide open. We're going to, you know, we're going to kill babies after they're born, right? Like uh, New York's talking about doing, uh, Colorado just passed last year, just a crazy uh, radical uh, pro-abortion bill that legalizes abortion up through all nine months of pregnancy without any restriction. Uh, and so you're going to see states take that direction. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as these states, some function and operate. Yeah, so uh, the job, uh, the, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because, um, look, things are done a lot better on a local level in a small yes. group setting. Absolutely. Like we understand this in the church context, small groups are great. You need small groups for a functional, good, solid yep. church. Um, you, uh, If you got a town... In your town, it's much easier to get stuff done than it is on a federal level because you're just disconnected from Washington uh, and all the stuff that happens there. Um, it, it takes a lot more more work on a grand scale to do things. And, and so the encouragement here would be get involved. Get involved more than you were involved, right? Like you have a lot easier and better access to your local elected officials and you can even, if they're not listening, it's much easier to get rid of them and vote them out and replace them by good, solid people um, who who know what they're doing and, and they're competent in what they're doing rather than the federal scale. So, again, the, the, the encouragement here would be this has kicked the ball back to the local level. And, I mean, obviously, let's celebrate the victory, but let's use it as a platform, kind of a diving board to jump further in, the more in and get more involved, uh, especially, I would say, especially 
in those very conservative states, especially in those states that are toss ups, like get really involved because your voice is going to matter. Because like I wish I was in one of those states because I would, uh, you know, it's very discouraging being, being in a state where you can't constantly think you're in a losing fight. Uh, but at least in a, in a state where you're like, hey, man, we can do this. One more, two more, five, five yeah, more, yeah, 15 more people. It's been a dream of mine to live in a state where abortion is illegal. Yeah. The way that bloodshed has been cleansed. That would be uh, uh, awesome. Yeah. So. And once you guys do that, then you can move into the other states. <laughs> right. Start right. putting your efforts into the other states. Right. Well, what's well, well, the interesting thing about California, right, is that you have so many immigrants who many of them actually are far more pro-life, you know, than, than, right. than their Democrat, the Democrat leaders that represent them. You know, this is why, of course, when, when referendums get put on the ballot in California, they, we get shocked at, at, at sometimes how conservative the, the populace votes. You know, you have, you know, so many immigrants uh, from Asia and, you know, from Mexico and South America that, that, that you know, for the most part, pro-life. And, uh, and yet, you know, they're not represented uh, by the Democrats that they vote for, unfortunately. So... I, th I still have hope for California. Uh, hey, so do I. Uh, so I'm still here. Uh, let me see if some, some of these comments and then we'll end it. Uh, go Arkansas. Irony that the Ark was uh, reconstructed there. <laughs> uh, someone said I'm in Louisiana, but I'll be in Cali in a few weeks. Hey, hit me up. Well, no, sorry. Don't hit me up because I'm going to be in Armenia. I won't be in the Cali. Uh, I'll be in Armenia. I'm flying out to Armenia on uh, on Sunday. Uh, but Jason, you're uh, you got roots in Louisiana. Yeah, uh, my dad's been in New Orleans for forty some years. I lived down there for a long time. Yep. Um, Fun place. Give me some shrimp po' boys. <laughs> uh, you've done some 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 great preaching down there, and your life has been threatened and put in danger uh, quite yep, a bit down right. there. So yeah, indeed. Thank, thank, thank you for that. Praise God that you're healthy and sound and, and with us today. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. I was actually doing security. My 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 daughter's organized a pro life event here in Milwaukee today, so they're doing this here, and we're uh, actually got a security team here, so I'm actually a part of that, helping to do security because you know pro choice people are so pro choice that they don't allow other people to choose, you know, what they do. So, but yeah, um, we're gonna be, be doing security pretty heavily around the city of Milwaukee for the next couple of days with some guys. So pray for peace and, and uh, for people's safety around here because there's a lot of radical leftists. Making do do a lot you of think threat. we're going to see, do you think we're going to see riots and stuff like that on the streets? No, no, there's not enough people that, that, that you know, the group of people that care about this is very small that would actually take it to the streets. Uh, what you might see though, is you will see, uh, you know, isolated uh, violent events. They're going to, they're going to look for, these people are cowards. Typically they're going to look for, weak vulnerable targets you know they might go burn down a crisis pregnancy center or attack mm -hmm. a pro-life church or if they can find you know people who are out in front of an abortion clinic uh ministering the gospel or something like that you know to, uh, try to try to assault them so those are the kinds of things we're on, on lookout for but i, I don't think we're going to see any, any sort of large-scale rioting madison wisconsin is a big leftist hub and a big university there so they're, they're probably going to tear up madison tonight they're supposed to do a night of rage after 10 p.m., uh, but, you know, I think most of us in the state of Wisconsin would be happy if Madison burnt down. So uh, maybe that sounds harsh, but, you know, we, we, we're not going to really shed too many tears over that. If they want to burn their own city down, that's that's certainly their decision. But um, so, 
you know, I think it will be isolated incidences, but uh, for the most part, no, it's not, not anything going to be like what we saw, you know, two years ago with the BLM yeah. protests and that sort of thing. Cool. Well, Jason, thanks, man. Um, we we were trying to do this pre-recorded and then post it up, and you had all sorts of stuff. You've been running around, and then uh, I woke I up to the news today, and I was like, okay, so I, I, I'm i flying out to Armenia on Sunday. I got to make this happen. I'm texting back and forth with you. You're like, I got to be at this event. I got to be on that event. I'll do it on my phone. And so we had all sorts of technical difficulties, which was really strange and weird. Uh, stuff like that doesn't happen, but um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't easily blame Satan for stuff. People give him too much credit, uh, but it was just really weird that all my stuff was working. And then right when I hit live, it just collapsed. My monitor in front of me still not functioning. Um, wow. So we, we had 150 people in here coming in from a, a different stream. Um, and like, so, the, but hopefully those people can watch the replay if, uh, if they didn't watch it. So those of you guys who jumped in here, the, the 30 odd people that have been in here for the last hour, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, share. Um, I'm sure we'll get some more opportunities to have Jason back on and talk about all sorts of issues. He's, he's pretty engaged when it comes to uh christianity and the intersection of politics and just social involvement by christians uh and he you can't fit him into this weird box uh as as you guys noticed you know like he just went out after the the republican establishment and said there's lots of corruption and all this so if someone talks to him and goes oh man this guy's a right-wing you know trump loving republican and then you hear stuff like that out of his mouth and they're like wait hang on here he sounds like a leftist but <laughs> you can't you can't even put you can't put him there exactly. biblical but yeah yeah amen yeah. to that yeah and i, I think amen. all of our uh, desire should be that that we want to be biblical we want to honor god we want to love god and want to love our neighbor that's what god's called uh us to that's what he wants from us and very simply put if you are someone who's watching this and has gone to this point and you are on the pro-choice side just know that this entire endeavor is to love our neighbor and to love the most vulnerable of our neighbors. Look, I have three children, okay, aged eight, six, and four. Jason has 10, uh, and they're from 18 to six months, seven months old. And uh, we are around children quite a bit. We've seen quite a bit uh, of ultrasounds. We've seen kids grow up. We got large communities of people with children. Uh, I am Armenian. Uh, we are genocide survivors. Um, we, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to dehumanize people and get rid of them and, and kill them off for convenience sake or other political reasons. And so the heart of, of the Christian, the heart of us in doing this, um, I want you to know if you're an opponent uh, of what we're saying is very basically to love our neighbors. Um, and if nobody's protecting them, we want to step in the gaps and protect them to the best of our abilities. And so, Jason, thank you, man, for joining me. Thank you for, for doing the work that you do, yeah. everybody. Um, and I'm, so I'm going to say bye to Jason and then make a couple of more comments and uh, and go from there. Love you. We're praying for you in Armenia. Thank you, brother. Blessings. All right. God bless you. Bye. Okay. okay. See, all sorts of weird stuff's happening. Um, hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, again, I want to send a shout out to Ruslan for recommending this and sending people this way. Um, if watching the replay, you've gone to this point. God bless you. Thank you very much. Hit the like button. Subscribe if you haven't. I got content content coming out. 
Uh, and then I'm going to be doing content from Armenia to the best of my abilities, like on the go. So it, it might not have the nice background and all that stuff, but I'm going to try to post as uh, much stuff as possible. We got some conferences we're planning there and some evangelistic meetings. And so uh, if you want to keep up with that, if you want to know what's going on, do that. Uh, look, if you want to support us on Patreon, the link is in the description box and all the various ways you can support that work. And if you specifically even want to support the work that we're going to be doing for this next month in Armenia, there's costs with that. Uh, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, you can cash app that. It's All that stuff is in there. It would go a long, long, long way for the gospel and the cause of Christ. So um, I'm just, hey, thank you guys. I'm reading all the comments right in front of me. With all that said, God bless you guys. And I will see you next time, most likely from Armenia. Take care and God bless.